Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome to The Legendarium. Today, Craig and I discuss The Return of the King, Book 5, Chapters 1 through 5, in an episode entitled Four Ways to Call a Hobbit to Dinner. Hey, I can't contain my giggles. Really? Really. I'm oh. I'm very excited to be back. I was just uh, I was just telling Ryan for those of you listening uh, before we started this podcast, we've been away for two weeks mm-hmm. now uh, from our microphones, and I I've also been somewhat depressed the last two weeks, and I think that there's a strong correlation. Entirely possible. Perhaps you need psychiatric help. I hate you. Um, I need psychiatric help to help me get through my my abiding hatred. I I recklessly hate. I hate. Oh, I was waiting for an assignation of your hatred. What you no, were hating? Remember you just... the orcs hate everything, right? They recklessly Got hate. It. Got Come it. on, tying it back here. <sighs> tying it back. Well, you know, speaking of tying back to the two towers, now we can say we're tying back to the two towers. Uh, welcome to the Return of the King. Thank you. I am excited to now be in the uber major battle sequence. Oh man, is it awesome so far? Yeah, the battle sequences. And I'll tell you what. I, what surprises me every time I get to this point is how long it still takes in the Return of the King to get to those battle sequences. There's still so much setup. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like. Uh, what 50 pages at least uh 75 pages of um of setting the stage for this giant battle i would dare say that the lord of the rings especially the return of the king uh novel here um is the predecessor to 24 where you have to live through the entire time frame that the same people live through oh right (laughs) every time i open my book from here on out i'm gonna go did did (laughs) <laughs> i love that show are you watching the new iteration of it i have not yet i started the first hour and haven't gotten any further yet yeah i love that show there's you just reminded me of something oh yeah okay um okay so speaking of feeling like this is taking forever there is a paragraph that caught my attention or at least half of one when Mary is, uh, it's it's at the beginning of chapter three, the muster of Rohan. Mary is, uh, you know, doing his thing with King Theoden, um, and it says, uh, "Let's see." So he's he's looking out in wonder upon this strange country of which he had heard many tales on their long road. He sat for a moment, half dreaming, listening to the noise of water, the whisper of dark trees, the crack of stone, and the vast waiting silence that brooded behind all behind all sound. He loved mountains, or he had loved the thought of them marching on the edge of stories brought from far away, but now he was borne down by the insupportable weight of Middle-earth. He longed to shut out the immensity in a quiet room by a fire. And I couldn't help but think as I read that paragraph, I'm like, maybe this is a bit autobiographical of Tolkien. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, yes, he really enjoys being here, much like we have enjoyed being here, but after a while, my goodness... This it's a big story and it's a big world that he's created and there's so much and at the weight of it just 
kind of presses down on you and you can't help but want a release from that. Yeah, if you, especially for those venturing through this for the first or maybe second time or whatever, there's so much detail. If you try and hold on to as much as I normally try and hold on to in a story, you will go crazy. (laughs) Which doesn't say much for you. Nope. Nope. Um, But yeah, there's just the the immensity of it. It, it another passage that uh caught my attention was and it always does is when aragorn and company come out of the the uh paths of the dead and then they ride along the southern uh southern part of gondor between the mountains and the sea and they're passing you know essentially you know city after city county after county landmark after landmark and tolkien names them all Mm -hmm. and you and he doesn't go into the history of any of these places Mm -hmm. he just says oh and then they rode past this and this and this and so it's you know it just adds more and more to this idea that oh my gosh there is so much that this story isn't even touching Mm -hmm. or you know it's made and we're just riding right through the other part was when he said something about the river that empties into the sea that washes the walls of Dol Amroth, where the where Prince Imrahil comes from, and it's like there's this. I, I love the image, but it's an image of this city that we're never going to see, and we're never going to learn anything about other than they're an ally of Gondor, and their prince is named Imrahil, and uh, they're apparently pretty awesome. Something about a swan, I think, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's a lot there. Yep, indeed. He ended lamely. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what do you think? Do you want to dive into some trivia and then move on? Let's do this. Let's let let me fumble my way through this trivia. It's going to be a poor showing this week, not because <laughs> I have lacked reading, but because it has been time since I have read. Yeah, I know. Well, you got sick. It's um, true. I I, I come powered... down with the grip. <laughs> I powered my way through my sickness for the last Lord of the Rings podcast and, you know, risked your illness, but I did not dare risk getting your illness by coming by. That was very wise of you. Very wise. (laughs) Too bad we did not have the healing hands of the king upon me. Oh, have I read ahead? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Don't spoil it. Oh, sorry. I have a lot to say about that chapter when we get there. Um, okay, well, let's go on. So we got ten questions in Craig's Lord of the Rings trivia. Question number one. In anticipation of battle, the men of Gondor are repairing what? The front gate wall piece thingy. <laughs> that was a great answer, wasn't it? Uh, yes. Anytime you put thingy in there, it's a good <laughs> answer. Uh, I will accept that. It is the Ramas Echor the great wall, the giant wall that encircles not just Minas Tirith, but a lot of the lands roundabout. Right. Later on, they repair the gate itself, but before that, they were working on the wall outside. Man, stop spoiling things. Yes. Um, Denethor's seat is in the Tower of Blank. That's not the answer. The answer is fill in that blank. Oh, I see. Um, The, uh, I don't know, Tower of... What? I don't the know. The Tower of Ecthelion. Oh. Who, if I'm not... I, I'm a little fuzzy on my Gondorian history at the moment, but I think he was the first steward of Gondor. That would sound very correct. I'm, I'm not sure on that. So. I wouldn't challenge you on it. 
I know you wouldn't, but somebody else might. We'll see. Okay, number three, we briefly go back to Helm's Deep, where Aragorn does something rash. Does something rash. Or something very brave, depending on how you look at it. Well, he goes... I. He leaves from somewhere nearby into the Pass of the Dead. Well, that's one thing, but it's while he's at Helm's Deep. While he's at Helm's Deep? Mm-hmm. Mm, Nothing. I, I can't recall anything. He looks into the he, Stone into of Orthanc. Yes! Yeah, the Palantir. He make, manifests himself to the evil one. Indeed. Uh, what are the Pukalmen? The Pukalmen? The Pukalmen. No, the Pukalmen. Um... That was a TV show I watched where you got to catch them all. <laughs> or I always pronounced it Pukelmen. Pukelmen. Nah, I don't know. They're, they're the statues at Dunharrow. Um, Dunharrow is where they the muster of the Rohirrim is. You know, they're all meeting at Dunharrow to ride off to Gondor. The really tall, oh, they're the statues in the really tall, narrow place? Yes. Got yes, it. you got it. And so and they're these statues built by an ancient people that used to live in that area. And they're the ones that built Dunharrow, but now they're long forgotten, and the Rohirrim get to use it for their own purposes. They probably fell off the mountain because it was really narrow and probably morons. Mm -hmm. What is the token sent by Gondor to Rohan to call for aid? It was a red arrow. Yes, a red arrow. Correct. I could see the wheels turning. It's like red spear, red something. No, it was an arrow. (laughs) What? Okay, one of my favorite things from all five chapters, and there was a lot to choose from, but. What are hellhawks? Mm, I do not know. They are the fell beasts. Uh, Baragond, uh, who is hanging out with Pippin oh, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. city, that's what he calls the uh, the ro- or, sorry, that's what he calls the uh, black riders, the Nazgul, on their steeds. Their steeds, hellhawks. Oh, hellhawks. Okay. I just thought that was the coolest word. Hmm. Um, okay. About how many men ride from Rohan to the aid of Gondor? I want to say like 3,000, but... 6,000. Okay. He wanted to send 10, but he didn't want to leave all of his strongholds undefended. Um, Now, we already talked a little bit about when Aragorn and co. come out of the mountain. They ride along this plain, this valley between the mountains and the... And the ocean, I guess it's not a valley, but whatever. They are riding to the Stone of... Your names are going to... Your names kill me. Yeah, I know, because it's been so long. The Stone of Eric. Oh, uh, well, I'm sure Eric had a nice stone. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what all the ladies say. Um, name the battering ram at Minas Tirith. Oh, gosh. When I read this, I knew I was like, I need to know the name of this because <laughs> it has a wolf's head and they were very angry. Uh, I don't know. Grond. Grond. Okay. Grond. Man, I am sucking this up. Uh, sorry, man. Um, all right. Well, you're probably not going to get this one then. Gon Burigan is the chief of the what tribe? What do they call themselves? Uh, the... Machu Picchu Indian <laughs> tribe. Close, I guess. They are the Wolveses, and they do use poison darts, apparently. Oh, yes, the Wolveses. Moses was a Wolveses. <laughs> Moses supposes that he was a Wolveses. Was a Wolveses. But Moses supposes erroneously. Indeed. <laughs> Man, this is not going well. 
this is our best episode ever. I don't I know, know what you're talking about. Uh, well, we do what we can. Um, yeah, actually, the woes is, in case you care, um, that was the end, by the way, you got two. Yeah. Um, the woes is are made up by Tolkien out of a word in a poem in Old English that is indecipherable. So there's there's this this word woes or woeses that mm-hmm. uh, that he came across in translating something for you know, whatever he did in his academic life I don't know uh, but he there was no translation for it and there was so little context that he that that nobody had been able to figure out what this word was or what it was referring to hmm. and so he took what few clues he had and he said all right what if they were uh, like a foresty hill people a tribal and, people yeah tribal people like from indiana jones when they shoot the guy with the little poison darts when he steals the statue from exactly indiana jones. yes those we'll call are the those the woes. <laughs> those are the the i suppose as we will call them the woes <laughs> that would be the the tribe from the woes the woes and they would have woes ancestry or was ancestry was ancestry there you go um by the way do you want a bonus after just two out of ten. Oh, yeah. I'm ready to knock this one right out of the park. <laughs> I just want one of the two names. Now, we've, we know that hobbits are called hobbits, and hobbits are called halflings. Uh, but there are two other names that we have heard so far, one in Rohan and one in Gondor. Do you, can you name either one of them? It's like what they call them in their own language. Mm-hmm. Can I remember either one? No. But I remember... Well, that's jumping ahead. Never mind. In Rohan, they, they call them Holbitla. Okay. And then in Gondor, they call them Feriannath. Oh. Yeah. Great. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I now have four ways to call a hobbit to dinner. <laughs> I know. And, and that's the thing about the Lord of the Rings, isn't it? Man, you can't just... They're not just hobbits, right? They're hobbits, but that's that's hobbits in Western or, you know, translated into English. That's what we call them. Mm-hmm. But that's not what everybody calls them. And Tolkien needs you to know this. Yes. <laughs> he, he needs you to know that they have this name in Rohan. I don't know why he needs you to know this, but I like that he does. I am going to stick with my answer that it is so you can call a hobbit to dinner. Or second dinner. Second dinner. Or whatever. first breakfast. <laughs> You know, the third tea, whatever it is that they have. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so um, I think next time you should do the reading approximately an hour and a half before we <laughs> do the podcast. <laughs> Pretty much every time up to this, it's been like the day before the day, or the day of that I've gone through and, you know, done the reading well. This time I have read ahead and I'm really on top of things in terms of my reading, but my... But then we didn't record last week. But my Sucka. retention is down the tube well yeah that happens um well yeah let's uh let's move on you want to start us off with uh something you enjoyed or found notable the first thing that i want to discuss briefly here um is this is the first time to my recollection in this entire book series where we start jumping around like jackrabbits in the story. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, in Fellowship, we're with Frodo and the Hobbits all the way through until we get to the breaking of the Fellowship. It's just one storyline. Then we hit two towers, and it's Frodo and Sam get their little bit. Then you have Merry and Pippin and their bit with the orcs, and you have uh, Legolas, Legolas and, Gary and, Gary and yeah. Aragorn. You got those things going on. 
Now they've spread out even further, and now every chapter, we're somewhere different. Yeah, and not just geographically, but in time as well. Yes. So, And that was one of my points as well, so I'm, I am uh, not only pleased, but also very pissed off that you brought it up. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's it, Tolkien is demanding a lot of us. Mm-hmm. It, not just in terms of place names, but just in terms of keeping track of this damn story. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? I, it's taking it's taken me so many readings before I can finally figure out. You know, I I can I know where we are before I sit down for ten minutes and puzzle it out mm-hmm. or go to the chronology in the back. Well, the one th- the one thing he does that's a kind of a a gift to us that he doesn't necessarily have to do. I think okay, and I'm going to say he actually has to do it. Otherwise, we're going to be totally lost. But he refers to it like. Every now and then, he'll give you a sentence or two about, and at this time, this is when this was occurring here. You know, you get a couple of those here and there. and Because I remember reading one thing, and the next paragraph started with Frodo something or other, and I was like, wait a minute, what? I, I'm talking with Pippin right now. <laughs> yeah, what? yeah. You know, and, and it'll talk about it, or at this moment, uh, the great king fell or something like that. So, um, I think he does a decent job of making sure you're aware of about what's going on chronologically at the same time. But it's still, it is a bit of a, it is a bit of a mind workout to go through and say, yeah, I am right now we're dealing with Frodo and Sam at the same time that the Rohirrim are riding towards Gondor. Right. Yeah. And so it's, we're used to dealing with stories one of two ways, uh, either the fellowship of the ring way, which is, which kind of sounded like Pig Latin, the Fellowship of the Ringway. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a very linear, straightforward story. You start, you have a middle, then there's an end, right? Mm. Before we split off. So there's that, or there's the modern, uh, I, I'd say the modern movie-making way. Uh, this is kind of how I think Peter Jackson put things together. Um even if the timeline was kind of jagged, he made it feel very coherent. And that's when you jump between scenes, you're simply, you're you're following the exact same timeline. You're just jumping from one side of the story to the other. Mm-hmm. You're not going back and forth in time. You're just going, you know, uh, from one story to the other as you progress. Right. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. And so now it's like you said, it's a leapfrog thing where you have to really concentrate because you you do five days on this storyline then you have to jump back four days and start there but then you do eight days with storyline b and then you jump back only two days and you're you know now you're in storyline c well now you got to go catch up with storyline a so you're going to jump back another two days to Mm -hmm. when they ended oh it's hard yeah yeah anyway do you do you find this distracting do you find it uh rewarding too difficult it's not too difficult, no. It's It just requires a bit of awareness as you read. It's very simply put, you just need to be aware that you're moving in time. And as long as you're aware of that, it's not going to throw you too hard. But if you're not aware of that, you're going to be like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Weren't we just over there somewhere? This shouldn't be a problem. They took care of it, you know, five pages back. But yeah. we don't realize that it was taken care of elsewhere yeah. at yeah. a different time. So, Right on. Well, I like it, but maybe it's just my pride because I've taken the time to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I guess I'll go on with one of mine. I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do first. Um, 
maybe maybe I read my notes. Um, oh, yeah. Speaking of keeping track of stuff, this actually goes hand in hand with it. Um, there, at some point, uh, what is it? Legolas and Gimli. Gimli says something like, hey, you know, we, if we just had our own folk to come and reinforce us, we'd be all good. You know, bring it, bring down the elves from Mirkwood and the dwarves from Erebor. And, you know, we'll, we'll take care of Minas Tirith. And then he's forcibly reminded that uh, they've got issues of their own. And I, this is another thing that adds a bit of weight and dimension to the story. And we don't have to keep track of this, but it is good to know why these other free folk of Middle-earth aren't showing up. And that's that we're the only thing we know about is this battle in Gondor in the south. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's the front lines, you know, because that's right where Sauron is and right where Gandalf is. But there are battles going on at Erebor, the Lonely Mountain that we met in The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. There are battles going on in Mirkwood and uh, there are fires in Lothlorien. There's all this stuff going on outside of the story proper that uh that we that we only get hints at uh but you know we might learn a little bit more about later on in the appendices but as you're reading the story uh like i said just another little bit of weight and dimension that this is it's like freaking world war uh, 0.5 negative one what comes before one um i actually think it's it's interesting and i don't know if i'm jumping i can't remember if i'm jumping ahead or not i don't think i am but um one thing that actually caught me by surprise was the fact that there were battles going on outside of Minas Tirith. Um, mainly because, coming from the films, it was, hey, here's where the war is happening. Here's what's going on. And while that's true, um, when the... If I'm jumping ahead, you'll have to just forgive me. Um, when the Rohirrim are riding to Minas Tirith, mm-hmm. and they come across the... Um, Woses. The Woses, yes. Yeah. They come across the Woses, and they're like, oh, there's a big bunch of, there's a huge army over here that's uh, cutting off the path to Gondor. But if you follow this path, I can show you how to get around them. You know, I was, I was like, well, wait a minute. Isn't the entire force of Sauron beating down the gates of Minas Tirith? I didn't mm-hmm. realize that there were, you know, he's sitting there like, okay, well, I've got to attack this main city, but I also need to keep these, their allies occupied. Yeah. Occupado. Occupado. So that was that was interesting to me and a bit of an eye opener that there was a this was a much grander scale war than just the, the battle going on at Minas Tirith. And it's you know as grand as the movie made it, and I I do love those battle scenes. I think that it's visually awesome. They cannot in just a few hours properly uh, give you that scale mm-hmm. of yeah there's a hundred thousand orcs on the steps of uh of Minas Tirith but there's another ten thousand over on this side and there's how many hundreds of thousands up in the north attacking the dwarves and the elves and there's how many you know tens of thousands of uh pirates the corsairs of Umbar coming up from the south and you know, there's just so much going on. And now that I think about it, I'm kind of grateful that he doesn't go into all that detail. Because if he did, then we'd have a Robert Jordan series on our hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am kind of curious, though. This is just something that sparked. I'm curious as to how how those armies got there. Because to me, it would seem like the if they had to march out of... Uh, 
Mordor. Mordor, thank you. <laughs> Having a major moment here. Yeah, right. If they had to march out of Mordor to get there, um, I would have suspected they would have been seen and more you know, information relayed, but I guess it could be allies that are recruited like the... Uh, uh, names of the tribal, the Oliphant people, and the like the Haradrim. The Herod- the, yeah, yeah. I guess it could be allies that were brought in from uh, the lands. Well, so you know, I'll I'll beat this drum one more time, and that's maps, 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 maps. Uh, it it is possible that these were like the when Gonborigan helps them dodge that company of orcs. Maybe that's a, a company that came down from the north from some of the battles in the north. And those northern marches weren't maybe as guarded as well or seen as, you know, as important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they probably didn't march right in front of Minas Tirith to get there and set up camp. And they took the hey long guys, way around. We're going to go up north to Erebor. Don't worry. You're good. Just stay in there. Stop shooting yours at me. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Okay. We on to your point? Yeah. The... There is a, one of the things I've noticed so far in our readings is depth to characters that generally, if you don't read the series, you don't get. Um, Denethor, oh, to yeah. me, that in in the film he is a you can just basically kind of tell he's given up and he's kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah, I did not get that until the end, until he finally actually kind of, and it wasn't so much crazy as it was for honor and glory that he was doing what he was doing. Um, but at the beginning, it was very much a very stubborn, strong-willed man, uh, man trying to rule a kingdom and knowing that Gandalf is like, I know about the writer and I, you know, I well, there was so much more to Denethor. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was just, he was, he was not a crazy crackpot to me when I was reading him. He was a strong-willed man who just was not going to, he was going to play games with Gandalf. He wasn't going to let Gandalf screw with him. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I really like Denethor. And this is... It's kind of similar to um, how I feel about Faramir. Not as strongly. I think they kind of screwed up Faramir. I don't think they screwed up Denethor. He just didn't quite get the death, like you said. Mm-hmm. But it's a similar thing where it's... Um, oh, shoot. He's, like, one of my favorites. He plays Walter Bishop on uh, Fringe. What's his name? What's his name? The guy that plays Denethor. Anyway, I'll think of it. He does an amazing job. Absolutely amazing. I love his portrayal of Denethor. But uh, but I have to say, uh, you know what? Sorry that they wrote you in such a way that you didn't get to do everything that, that this character could have gotten to, to do. You know, mm-hmm. didn't get to stretch your wings all the way. Well, for me, I I think the big difference, I guess, came for me... That in the film, I didn't feel that Denethor actually cared. I thought he was like he didn't care about his people mm-hmm. so much. It was just my power, my seat. I'm a little bit gone upstairs. Mm-hmm. But in the book, it was very much the, his own pride at his rule and his pride in his people that you know kept him from saying no. We're not gonna, you know, we're we're gonna be okay. We're gonna who's gonna ride out and retake Osgiliath for me? And, yeah. Things like yeah. that. So, uh, and so this dovetails into one one of my other points. So I'll just bring it up now, uh, which is that as Denethor is arguing with Faramir and uh, and Gandalf, well, in this case, it's Faramir. Uh, he sounds this argument sounds a lot like something that we'd be very familiar with today in our kind of geopolitical landscape as it is today, mm-hmm. and it's the argument of pragmatism versus idealism. And so they're arguing about. Uh, 
uh, about Faramir's uh, tendency to be that that warrior poet like we talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, he's uh, Denethor wants him to just be a freaking warrior. Can't you just be Boromir and be brave like I ask you to? But but Faramir really does have that kind of idealistic attitude. And um, uh, what does he say? Uh, Faramir says, um, If what I have done displeases you, my father, I wish I had known your counsel before the burden of so weighty a judgment was, th- was thrust on me. And uh, Denethor says, um, Ever your desire is to appear lordly and generous as a king of old, gracious, gentle. That may well befit one of high race if he sits in power and peace. But in desperate hours, gentlemen, uh, gentlemen, gentleness may be repaid with death. And then Faramir says, so be it. And Denethor says, so be it. You know, but it's not just your death, it's everybody else's. Anyway, so the uh, the argument they're having is... Um, Faramir says we need to do the right thing and Denethor says oh that's great if you're you know if you're a king in peacetime and you're you know you are a high and mighty man but you're not you're you're of my family we're the stewards we're we're ruling now in this dark time and you know uh, desperate times call for desperate measures the ends justify the means we got to do what we can to survive blah 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 Um, and so he says if we're if we are gentle, we're dead. Mm-hmm. And Faramir essentially says, all right, I'll be dead. And, you know, there, so what, what do you think of this clash of those two ideals? Way to, way to stand your ground, Faramir. Um, it's, it's one of those things that has, I would almost, you know, it's been a bit of a recurring theme in the story about, why are you doing the right thing? Why do the, why are you doing the right thing? Or what do you consider to be the right thing? You can take it back to Boromir and his challenge, you know, challenging Roto for, Roto for the Fring. Frodo. <laughs> I am on top of things. Challenging Frodo for the ring. Um, it even talks about that. Uh, I don't remember where exactly about that, how that was his undoing. What he wanted to do was good. And you know, what I want to do is, is, is good. So to have Faramir in this moment say, you know, have these two arguing about what is good and what is the best way of doing this, and then Faramir to finally say, no, it would be better for us to die than to do this the wrong way, is probably one of the most definitive ways that Tolkien at this point has said, doing the right thing for the right reason is the way to go. Right. Not the not doing the right thing in air quotes. For the wrong for reasons. The wrong reason, yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, like I said, I think this really rings true today because... I mean, in the news right now, Iraq, 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 whatever, take your pick, is really big in the news right now because, you know, now people are saying, oh, was it worth it that we even went there? Was, you know, is this the right thing to do? And, you know, so this question really resonates. Were we doing the right thing and were we doing it for the right reasons? Are we being pragmatic, doing, you know, whatever it takes to to survive or whatever it takes to kill the enemy or are we uh or are we again doing it for the right reasons yeah you know and there will always be that battle of you know the american ideal of no compromise we don't we don't negotiate with terrorists we don't you gotta say that with a bit of a drawl we don't negotiate with terrorists (laughs) (laughs) wow okay there you go (laughs) hope you're happy there are there are you know, this is this is an idea that will be revisited in a hundred years from now. Oh, and a thousand years from now. A thousand now, years. And That's this is a common 
Peace yeah. it'll go. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, go on with your bad self. All right, one of my favorite uh, exchanges between two characters right here. I'm going to read it because I cannot do it any more justice than the words he has chosen here. Amen. Okay. You cannot enter here, said Gandalf, and the huge shadow halted. Go back to the abyss prepared for you. Go back. Fall into the nothingness that awaits you and your master. Go. The black rider flung back his hood, and behold, he had a kingly crown, and yet upon and yet upon no head visible was it set. The red fire shone between it and the mantled shoulders vast and dark. From a mouth unseen there came a deadly laughter. Old fool, he said. Old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain. And with that he lifted high his sword and flames ran down the blade. That section right there, I was like, I'm just going to take a minute. Because that was awesome. Revel. Can I just revel in how cool that is? These Two incredibly opposite characters standing there. You just, you would just stand there and watch this inter- this exchange and go, yeah, that's that is the definition of badassdom. Oh <laughs> right yeah, there. for sure. Now I wish people. I, sometimes I wish this wasn't radio and people could see how much I'm smiling because, you know, <laughs> I, I love, I love the Lord of the Rings. And when I recommend it to people, I do so knowing that in all likelihood, they're not going to love it as much as I do. But I just hope that when people read it, they get a few of the things that I got and think, you know, some of the same things are cool. I want everybody to get their own thing. But but this is one of those moments that every time I come to it, I just think that is the... Oh, that is the definitive confrontation and like the definitive way to bring together two, you know, like good versus evil characters mm-hmm. in any story. Like this is how you do it. Yeah. And, uh, and the language is so perfect. The way that he crafts every sentence and every word and every paragraph is perfect. And so I'm, so I'm smiling so broadly because this is one of my points, you know, I wanted to bring this up, but I, I'm, I am, pleased beyond belief that you did yeah it's when you get a good moment like this it's great and i just some of the like you said some of the ways that it the lines of the way they're written is just they're just beautiful in their simplicity and straightforwardness do you not know death when you see it that right there just that line alone says you now have a visual image of this character even if he hadn't described the fire you know the the uh, from the mouth where there came deadly laughter. If Even if he doesn't describe that, you just simply say, do you not know death when you see it? And whatever image of death you have, you now can see right there before the champion of all good. Yeah. So uh, A note to all aspiring writers out there, whether you're writing something that's meant to be read or something that's meant to be listened to or seen or whatever, if you want to create something with arresting power, do it in monosyllables. This is this is creative writing 101, right? Mm-hmm. And so when he says the when the witch king unsheaths his sword and flings back his hood, he says, "Old fool, this is my hour. Do you not know death when you see it? Die now and curse in vain." Not a single one of those words was more than one syllable. And you know, if you want to if you want to appear flowery and overly intelligent and dare i say pedantic 
with more than one syllable, then that's then that's how you do it. You use big French words and lots of Latinates, right? But if you want to if you want to use power in your speech and get someone's attention, you use monosyllables. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah, it just it you you just get hit over the head with them. <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I just love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And um, this isn't the only place where I get stopped. We've talked before, especially in the Two Towers, about how there's this huge shift in uh, in language between the Fellowship of the Ring and the Two Towers. Uh, it, it goes from the very hobbitish, kind of low farmer speak almost you know or mm-hmm. you know or if it's frodo and bilbo it's kind of a gentlemanly english but it's very familiar and earthy mm-hmm. and then you get to the two towers and and everything gets kind of lofty and um and heroic and grand and then you take that upward slope and you just multiply it exponentially in return of the king and you know you you can hardly understand some of these things if you're not uh, being very careful because it's like you're reading King James Bible or something, right? Yep. Um, but then the other uh, the other thing that I love, speaking of heroic language, was when the Rohirrim show up at uh, at Minas Tirith and they charge. That was was that yeah your thumbs on that one. Arise, too, right? arise, riders of Theoden, fell deeds awake. Yeah, um, fire and slaughter. Spe- spear shall be shaken, shield be splintered, a sword day, a red day, ere the sun rises. Ride now, ride now, ride to Gondor. And then when they, um, let's see, uh, morning came, morning and a wind from the sea, and darkness was removed, and the hosts of Mordor wailed, and terror took them, and they fled and died, and the hoofs of wrath rode over them. And then all the host of Rohan burst into song, and they sang as they slew, for the joy of battle was on them, and the sound of their singing uh, that was fair and terrible came even to the city. Oh, man. I uh, I know that I would absolutely hate to be in war, uh, but boy, this sure sounds cool. <laughs> right? We, we would be the... Uh... The weavers weaving the tapestries of history on the side. Yeah, right. They're like, "Oh, make sure we get this part of the battle." And yeah. <laughs> we're there there. with our charcoal, yep. just like sketching things out. Oh, make sure that guy just that, get that the way that head the way the head flew. <laughs> um, yeah, this this is um, this is Tolkien at his most Beowulfian. Mm-hmm. He is really reaching back into his archaisms and uh, and making this feel. Uh, making it feel unreal because this is a fantasy, right? This isn't real warfare. This is about um, this is about the heroism that comes along with war. And so, you know, there are places where he goes into the the dark consequences of battle and the horror of battle. You know, you remember the dead marshes and and the, mm-hmm. these images that he leaves with you, but. He's going to also tell you about the the heroism that can come with battle when you're with your uh, your friends. I almost said comrades, but I'm not Russian. <laughs> uh, when you when you're with your companions, your friends, your comrades, whatever you want to call them, uh, there there can be heroism there. Now it's mingled in with all of the the blood and guts and the horror, um, 
in real life. But I think in this instance, he's simply pulling that heroism out of that mix and and giving it to us pure mm-hmm. uh, in this uh, in this few paragraphs. Yeah, that actually feeds into the, my point on this one is a little bit different. Um, he focuses on the he of the heroism there. We've talked multiple times before about how often he does not write the actual battle, like right. what occurs blow by blow most of the time. And he in, writes the emotion of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And each time the in each time they've gone to battle recently, there have been very few moments where he has explained any sort of actual fighting. We'll get to that in the next section on the fields of Pelennor. There will be a small section where mm-hmm. we deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um but the way he simply says, okay, I'm going to paint you just enough of the emotion that you can run with it in your own mind as to what occurred here. Um, and just imagine this charging mass of horses running down the host of Mordor here and just how heroic. I want. You, I just, here's what you need to think about. Go ahead and run wild with it yeah, in your head. Yeah. So I, that was my big thing about this. It was a beautiful setup, you know, great speech. Um, everything, and then he says, and here's what I want you to feel, or here's what they were feeling that you should yep. think about. Go. Yeah, you go paint the picture. So, Ugh. Man, this guy was not unskilled. <laughs> um, Alright, well, I'll take a little bit different tack. Let's get away from the uh, great deeds of men and go to the great deeds of hobbits. <laughs> uh now, Merry and Pippin, in the first two chapters of this, go on very parallel journeys. Mm-hmm. So, d- did you get that while you were reading? Like, that this is meant to, you're meant to contrast Merry and Pippin's uh, little adventures? I didn't, I don't know if I was, if I really got that I was meant to con- to compare and contrast. Yeah. yeah. Kind of naturally happens, but. Because, you know, there there are several parallels, but I think the most striking one is that these are both, they're hobbits, they're out of place in a, a kingdom or a land where they they don't feel they belong, and now they're thrust into the company of the king, or in the case of Gondor, the steward, right? Mm-hmm. And they're both kind of uh, these proud old men, and then both of the hobbits offer their swords in service to mm. these proud old men. And then I love the difference in the reception of that. Because Denethor is very, uh, I, he's he's almost mocking of Pippin's service. I'll take your sword. Yeah, and... I'll take your sword, and yeah, I I find you to be a, a an amusing little trinket, and I'll learn what I can from you. This and is then, so cute. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, yeah. What a, what a what a cute little sword in this four foot tall hobbits hands you know mm-hmm. versus mary who oh well and I, I should also say pippin when he when he swears service to uh to denethor he does so out of some kind of sense of duty he needs to repay this debt of boromir's uh, sacrifice mm-hmm. right boromir sacrificed himself himself to save mary and pippin even if it didn't work he still did his darndest, right? Right. And Pippin needs to repay that. So even if he's terrified of Denethor and doesn't really know or trust him, he needs to repay that. Versus Mary, who who 
loves Theoden and who has seen him in, you know, he's seen him in battle and he's seen him at uh, uh, Orthanc and now, you know, he's ridden with him for days now and has grown to admire this guy. And so when he pledges his service, it's not out of some kind of weird warped sense of duty uh, or obligation. It's because he really does want to be of as much service as possible. Mm -hmm. And so when Theoden takes his uh, sword or his service, he does so with a lot of love, right? Yeah, and and I think you can see down the road how the different approach to taking on the responsibility will alter their pathways and mm-hmm. th- and ultimately you will be able to see in the end the the way that they deal with the loss of their master mm-hmm. um because they both they handle it very differently right um as we get down the road so i won't i won't touch on that too much but yes uh the way they entered into it will alter the way they deal with it later well, and you could go back to the idea of uh, Bilbo finding the ring and, you know, how he acquired it versus how Gollum acquired it. Two, you know, interesting parallel adventures in finding the ring. But uh, Bilbo starts his journey with uh, with mercy and uh, Gollum or Smeagol starts his journey with the ring with murder. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and you can see what uh yeah what varied paths they take so it's a similar concept here i'd say do you think there's any any particular reason that the two hobbits needed to be separated um uh, only that uh, there were two stories to tell and and the hobbits are meant to be our vehicles to see the story because i remember i mean i know in the story that gandalf takes pippin because he looked into the stone. Right. And now they know th- they know things in the... I think Pippin becomes the one that Sauron is kind of looking for because right. he figures that. Um, oh, did you mean in the actual story or like in the writing of it? Well, both. Yeah. In the actual story, the re- I think the reasoning is to take the hobbit that Sauron is looking for to his point of focus. Right. And, but overall, I just... I thought it was interesting since they've already separated the four hobbits into two groups. Why did we need to separate these two? Whereas Sam and Frodo, who are taking this different road, end up staying, you know, staying together the whole way through. Well, yeah. Like I said, the the hobbits are meant to be our vehicle to see these stories or to experience these stories. We're supposed to relate with them, right? And so Frodo and Sam are having their own, um, well, I hate to call it an adventure because it's not an adventure. It's a nightmare. Mm Mm-hmm. and and we learn things from them but you know let's say let's say that Merry and Pippin both went to Gondor uh, quite frankly i don't think that we would care or that we would try to understand what was going on in Rohan we would just wait for the Rohirrim to show up and save Merry and Pippin right mm-hmm. but because Tolkien splits them up uh, it's easier for us to uh, to want to know what's going on in both camps hmm. okay cuz cuz i like both of them they're both Good, good-hearted lads, and they both serve a very important purpose in the mm-hmm. end, being separated. So. And did you notice um, in the first chapter how different Pippin is from when we first meet him? Yeah, he's even the the way that he talks, the language that he uses is very Aragorn-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that you know he 
he comments on the coming darkness. I, I don't have the lines pulled up in front of me, but the, the way that he says things is not hobbitish at all. Mm-hmm. He thinks hobbity things to himself, but when he speaks, it's very grave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, anything else that you want to, to bring up? Off the top of my head, I don't have another, I don't have anything else. Okay. Off the top of my head. Um, all right. Well, in the next one, we're going to, I think we're going to talk a lot about, um, despair and despair <laughs> and making choices based on despair. So the, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on with Denethor He's he's definitely a favorite character of mine to to get into because I think Tolkien teaches us a lot through him or tries at least. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, call this one quits. We both need to go get lots of sleep this week uh, because uh, my brain was incredibly scattered through this whole uh, effort. I have to admit, I I am uh, I am in World Cup mode right now. Oh, for. For sure. My brain is wrapped around so many things regarding the World Cup right now. <laughs> you wanted to go an hour on that. I, I could easily do that right now. So. Um, I do. I do. But not right <laughs> now. Um, all right. So we're going to finish up book five. Uh, like I mentioned, I think last time, uh, The Return of the King just moves at lightning pace. Mm-hmm. And we're going to finish book five in the next cast and then move on to book six. Uh, and and things will continue to go fast until the end, which isn't the end because we're going to do all twelve volumes of the history of Middle Earth. Wow! Just kidding. No, just kidding. <laughs> Please don't hold me to that. I was about to say we're going to have to have a discussion about <laughs> the future about the direction of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps you should do a few monologue pieces. There we go. Well, arm rescue for the direction. of the podcast. All right, so I will see you on the other side. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Legendarium on iTunes. Uh, Check us out at thelegendarium.podbean.com and also write us at thelegendariumpodcast at gmail.com.